Welcome to the Tusker Sports Weekly, episode number 126 for you this week. Your one-stop shop for all things Husker sports and Nebraska for the first time in our college careers and beyond that is playing for bowl eligibility this weekend as they travel up to East Lansing to take on the 2-6 and six Michigan State Spartans. A big weekend for Nebraska football, a potentially historic one for year one under Matt Rule as they try and go to 6-3, and three, and they will be 4-2 and two in the Big Ten Conference with a win this weekend. Kickoff scheduled for 11 a.m. tomorrow on Fox Sports 1. Nebraska, a three-point favorite. We'll give you our full preview for that game and much more this week in college football. We'll obviously go over our picks again. We'll talk a little bit of Michigan as well and the story, the story developing with that whole cheating scandal, if you will. Um, and we'll round out the episode with some Husker volleyball and Husker hoops starts up on Monday. So before we get into any of that, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27. That's for me, Connor Clark, and for Grant Hansen at Hansen, not Hanson. Yes, uh, last name ends in E-N, not O-N. Take notes, everybody. If you spell it wrong, well, uh, we're going to cancel the show, apparently. Right. You can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks to find our show. So let's dive straight into things and let's kick it off with the whole Michigan. Are they cheating? Are they deploying Connor Stallions on Central Michigan sideline? Are they doing this? Are they doing that? What's the reaction? You and I have had some pretty interesting discussions with friends of ours and especially from the network point of view. And we've talked about how it seemed like Fox has been very defend Michigan and ESPN has been not so much, but then you just read me this quote from Desmond Howard moments before we started recording. And obviously Desmond Howard being a, a Michigan grad and everything. And is, a clown, is, a yes, professional clown. Yes, that's true. Um, is pro Michigan. So why don't you go go ahead and read the people what yeah. you just read me? Oh, yeah. He said, I just don't understand this morning on Get Up. <clears throat> Desmond Howard said, I just don't understand the rush to judgment by some of the coaches in the conference. If the tables were turned, they would never want anyone to rush to judgment. Hmm. So there's Mr. Kick Nebraska out of the Big Ten for playing for football playing in football. 2020. <laughs> that is still just a hilarious narrative. But it's it's that. It's Colin Coward. Yeah, it's Joel Flat, um, and yeah, Cowherd with the the, the, the Maserati. Yeah, reference. the Maserati saying <laughs> that Jim Harbaugh is driving down the freeway in a Maserati at ninety three compared to everybody else going seventy one, which is just so asinine. Um, I it just it's so frustrating because I'm just like, what are you saying there? You're basically saying yes, Jim Harbaugh is pushing the envelope by basically creating what could be one of the most developed college football cheating sign stealing conspiracies we've had in ever ever <laughs> i mean who is who is deploying people and uh, this hasn't been totally confirmed but it, right. i mean everybody's pretty assuming that this is the case that counter stallions who is a part of the michigan staff was in that picture on the central michigan sideline when they played michigan state in east lansing earlier this year now obviously he was scouting michigan state rather than central michigan because of the big rivalry game, and that was a team on Michigan's schedule. But when it comes to, you know, the whole Maserati thing and w with Coward and the quote from Desmond Howard that you just read and, us. And Joel Klatt, too. I think what his thing was basically – his thought was basically you don't want Petiti, the commissioner of the Big Ten, to yeah. take action here. Well, and it's just like – yeah, of course, other coaches aren't going to want the tables turned on them like that, but the other coaches aren't doing that. Right. Michigan is doing that, and that's the problem here. And, again, I, I hesitate to argue this uh, from a Nebraska point of view because, again, if they don't cheat, now, if they again, it's not totally confirmed that they did cheat against Nebraska, but it, all signs are kind of pointing that way. If they did cheat against Nebraska, if they didn't cheat against Nebraska, I don't think that game result is much different than yeah. it actually was. But when you think about an Ohio State or you know a Penn State, other teams in contention, especially in the East Division, trying to get to Indianapolis, and you already have the talent there, there's no reason why Michigan needs to do this. 
I don't know what the thought process is behind it. All the memes are coming out about how Connor Stallions bought a seat behind a pole when scouting TCU from a season ago, which <laughs> is kind of funny. But I just don't, I don't understand it. I mean, it's like I mean, this is broad. It's so broad. It's, it's it's extremely broad. There's a lot of comparisons back to the Astros, obviously, with right. the whole. Now that was in game. And there's a little bit of a difference there, but it's still cheating. And at the end of the day, it's it's still bad. Um, but it's it's just like how how is this how is this being defended on, on a national level? I mean, right. that, that's my question. How can you logically defend it? The, just based off the information that we have right now, what argument? How could you build a good argument off of evidence? By the way, too, to prove that Michigan is completely innocent. Yeah, and this is like what one of what three current investigations because you have someone who is sure. under investigation in the program from the FBI. You had a sting operation on one staffer for pedophilia. Um, I mean, there's a lot going on right now that is bad. Um, but look, I mean, you have like just a couple of nights a nights ago, Purdue head coach Ryan Walters. I mean, this is as far as a coach has gone in this situation in terms of like being very publicly definitive on one way or another. He said these he said on the on his coach's radio show, uh, they aren't allegations. It happened. There's video evidence, there's ticket purchases you can track back. Mm-hmm. Um so and and look, I sort of tend to agree I agree with Walters on this. I I really don't know why we are just sort of beating around the bush with this whole thing. Uh, not necessarily in terms of bringing allegations to bear uh but more so on the on the lines of just like from the from the media perspective why are there people carrying water on this whole thing defending michigan that's my thing i'm not saying you have to directly be out there attacking this program but this whole ah, let's wait till all the facts come out thing it's just i think there's enough on specifically the from desmond howard in this case well, yeah um because and i get it like in most in most situations, um, in most situations, I think you know you would probably say, "Let's wait till all the facts come out." But the facts that have come out are along the lines of what Walter said: ticket purchases, video evidence, um, this weird stuff going on with Central Michigan. That you know, again, we've had discussions about that. I mean, that it, is compelling evidence, right. if true. Yeah, and what? There's evidence of not only scouting potential college football playoff opponents and trying to steal their signs, but passing that information on to other programs like South Carolina, which is really fascinating because you know who was at South Carolina during that time? Mm. Marcus Satterfield. No one's been able to ask him about that yet because um, because he was on the coach's radio show this week, and so was not. he wasn't available to the press on, on Tuesday. Uh, I don't know. I'm not insinuating he was involved in, in at all with any of that. I'm just saying that's something that probably will be asked in a future press conference. Um, you know, I I, th- I think the coaches are rightfully angry because you have to. I mean, what? It's a huge advantage for Michigan. Even this is for this season and the immediacy of this season. This is even a huge advantage for Michigan on its own. Oh yeah. Because every opponent they're playing has to create an entirely new sign language for that week when they're playing Michigan. And so I mean, you have to you have to basically relearn a ton of different stuff or risk that your signs have already been stolen. I it just you know, there's a chance for miscommunication. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that puts an opponent at at a disadvantage even with this information being made public. And so again, like the facts that we have are out at this point, there isn't really it seems to me there is not really a whole lot of reasonable doubt here about whether or not there was sign stealing going on. The only question at this point is how bad is it? That's the question. And when you're trying to make a whole new sign language for a team, I mean, for a collegiate group of players, that as a coaching staff, in my opinion, is probably next to impossible. Because think about it. You spend all summer implementing your scheme, your system, and what signs you have that represent certain plays. Or multiple and whatever. years. Yes. And, oh, by the way, you know, these guys, like, have other stuff to do than football. They go to class. They do all these other things. It's not like they're NFLers who are just in the building all the time, right? So it's next to impossible to do that. And even if you have a bye week leading up to Michigan, 
a two-week span, a one-week span, whatever the case may be, that is extremely hard. And uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, that just adds a whole other level to the advantage that Michigan is getting from this. And they already had the talent advantage, which that's that's what makes... And the scheduling advantage. Yeah, that's Let's what makes me that. more upset, too. And this is like when people bring up the Astros, we're like, Astros fans are fine with what happened in 2017 now because they've been good after. I think that makes it worse because it proves even furthermore that you didn't need to do it. And I think it's the same thing here with the Michigan. You didn't need to do it in the first place, I don't think. They have the talent. They have the coach. They have the scheme. Uh, I just I don't understand. So that's kind of the update on the whole Michigan cheating scandal here in the Big Ten. It's one of the biggest stories in college football, obviously. Arguably the biggest story in the Big Ten Conference. Um, so that's our initial thoughts on, on the entire thing. So Nebraska plays another team in Michigan this weekend, and that's the Michigan State Spartans. Nebraska has won, and this is weird to say, five of their last six ball games, and Michigan State has lost six games in a row. Nebraska coming off of that 31-14 win over Purdue last week, and Michigan State coming off of a 27-12 loss at Minnesota last Saturday. Now that score is a little bit skewed. It was a lot closer going into that fourth quarter, but Minnesota got a couple of scores late, and they ended up winning 27-12. to But Michigan State obviously in kind of a state of turmoil, if you will, with the whole Mel Tucker thing, right. him getting fired midseason with that whole allegation of sexual misconduct with an employee, um, and that's just kind of left this program in no man's land, it feels like, um, heading into the rest of the season. So Nebraska with a pretty favorable chance to get bowl eligible for the first time since, I guess, technically 2017 because they went to a bowl game at 5-7, and seven. but uh, the Foster Farms Bowl, or was that 16? Uh, One of the two. 16 was the last year that they have gone to a bowl. So they were, I remember they were 5-7 and seven going into the Foster Farms Bowl to play Josh Rosen and the UCLA Bruins. And they ended up winning that game. They did. And that was that was 2015. 20, really? Yeah, 16. 16 so okay, so 16. 2016 was the year that they started out 7-0. and 0, Thank you, yes. Got that's the, that's hosed, the Sam Fultz year. Got absolutely hosed uh, on a call late in, in Madison. Actually, no call. Because it was a... Uh, the PI it was that a wasn't clear, PI. clear PI against TJ Watt that did not get called. So Nebraska loses in overtime to Wisconsin in that game in Madison, and then they got waxed the next week. So they, they Ohio State beat them sixty-two to three the next week. It was yes. it wasn't even close. And, and that, Tommy that, Armstrong went down in that game. Yeah. Um. So that was definitely like a either they fell hard after that Ohio State game, um, but like Nebraska was up to number seven in the country. Yeah. Uh, at that point, which, again, I mean, it was a really, really great start to the year. That was the year they beat Oregon as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then they ended up finishing the year with, I think, I think it was Riker Fife taking the snaps at quarterback against Tennessee. I'm looking at the box score right now. I know they lost game. that game, right? They did, and they did handily. Uh, and I was on the record as being a staunch uh, Riker Fife hater. Uh, and Are you still? Yeah, he wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> so I was just like, dang it. Well, I mean, there's a reason he's a backup quarterback. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, so that was the last time Nebraska made a bowl, 2016. I always get those two years mixed up. I don't know why I feel like the, the Foster Farms Bowl is post It was such Fultz an year. improbable win, too. Yeah. That's part of it. Well, I, I remember there was, I believe it was a Nate Gary targeting call in that Foster oh, Farms Bowl. That was atrocious. It's, it, on, it's on every compilation of worst college football calls you've yeah. ever seen, ever. And that's why I know he got hosed that. more than anyone. Um, part of it was because he kind of developed a reputation for being uh, a bad boy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had the Josh Allen handing him the yeah. ball, you know, all that stuff. So that was part of it. And then there was, I think, at points in his career, there actually had been some legitimate targeting. And so I, I think that was part of it. But, um, but yeah, no, he had several terrible, terrible targeting calls that went against him in the latter half of his career. Yeah, that, that one was uh, absolutely brutal. But let's get into this game on Saturday. Obviously, Nebraska's defense is playing as well as they have been um, here in really the past month. They were top four in college football in the percentage of drives that resulted in right. stops, which was 87% of the time, which is insane. And really, they only gave up the one score against Purdue because of the scoop and score that was the result of Jeff Sims coming into the game. But 
this is a defense that's playing at, at you know an all-time high level. Um, we talked about it on the morning show that I was on today prior to recording this, and it was like, hey, and I know this is kind of a stupid correlation to make, but the last time Nebraska went up to Michigan State, they gave up 15 yards in the entire second half and lost the game, and now this defensive yeah. unit is playing even better than that defensive unit was playing that year. So it's going to be interesting to see how – they come out, and you know a lot of guys who have been on the defensive unit for three-plus years, they got they got something on the line this week, and they really have never had something of this magnitude, I guess, of a reward for winning no. a game. No, I they mean, have not. In, in their entire college career. I mean, Other than the, beating the, Iowa, but yeah, yeah, that's the only thing that comes close. Other than beating Iowa, and I think the Michigan game of 2021, I think has held significant importance in their careers because you know, right. if you win that game, you're 4-3, and three, whatever. You don't know what happens the rest of the year, but... This is the first time, and this goes for anybody, but specifically the defense, that they've had a chance to play for a postseason, and you still got three games after this too, which is extremely important. So I'm excited to see how that unit in specific is able to perform. Obviously, can Nebraska hold on to the football? Right. Five fumbles last week. Uh, can they air it out more? We'll see if that happens because you know you've had back-to-back weeks with longer touchdowns can you build up a drive like you did against Purdue which went 11 plays in nine minutes I believe it was or maybe it was 15 plays I can't remember off the top of my head but it was a 85 yard drive that went nine minutes that result in a touchdown can you recreate something like that those are going to be the things that I look for and obviously special teams has haunted Nebraska up in East Lansing in recent memory yeah, no, I mean, that's true. But Michigan's, it's oddly enough, this Michigan State team is really kind of similar um, to some Frost teams in the past because they're 2-6, and six, they're 0-5 in conference, um, but they've lost some games in really, really weird, inexplicable ways. Uh, the Iowa game, for example, the mm-hmm. punt return touchdown, that's a, that was literally, I mean, carbon copy of what happened to Nebraska when they went to East Lansing Just last pain. time. You punted, it to the, you punted it to the opposite side of your coverage. Um, the Rutgers game, also actually a special teams error because you had a block punt late in that game that was able to set up Rutgers for the go-ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was huge because you were you were winning that game 24-6, to and yep. then you give up 21 in the fourth. So there's some level of psyche damage, I think, that's present there. Now, talking to some people around that program who covered that program, uh, Harlan Burnett has done a really, really good job of holding this team together still. Uh, oddly enough, you talk about what Nebraska has to play for. Of course, Michigan State has plenty to play for, too, because it's their senior day. It's the earliest end to a Michigan State home slate in over 100 years, I Which believe. Which is crazy. Um, because they had to give up that Penn State game at the end of the year as a home game uh, to make that uh, a neutral site game at Ford Field because Penn State will not play November night games. Um, Why is I don't that know. exactly? Yeah, it was really dumb. And it was also kind of on Kevin Warren, too, that that happened. Uh, so the Nebraska, but this Nebraska game is a lot. And oddly enough, there's guys on this team that actually played for Mark D'Antonio. There's still the senior, the senior <laughs> class played for Mark D'Antonio. The senior class played for Mark D'Antonio. Um, and they've been through plenty, right? So they want to go out on top in this game, too. And I, I expect a strong fight from them because they've been really competitive. Um you know, the biggest thing for Nebraska remains what's been the biggest thing for Nebraska all year is don't turn the football over. I mean, this is objectively the worst offense that Nebraska has faced this year and with maybe the exception of Iowa, will face this year. Um, they struggle in almost every category. Uh, your best player is running back Nate, Nate Carter. 11 carries, 44 yards last week. Matt Rule thinks he's the best running back that Nebraska has faced all year, um, transfer from UConn, Nebraska's going to have to stop the run. Uh, you do that, you're going to be in a really good spot because the, you have two different quarterbacks operating this Michigan State offense right now in Caton Hauser and Sam Levitt. Levitt kind of more of a gunslinger, aggressive, has b- more big playability, um, but there's more risk there too because he's prone to turn it over. He can do more with his legs too, six carries, 52 yards last week. So, the thing is, there's really not a whole lot of playmakers in the Michigan State passing game. In fact, I would say there are none. Uh, so if Nebraska can make the Spartans one-dimensional and throw the football, there's going to be a path to success. And, of course, you do not want to give the team short fields because that's what happened to Minnesota in that first quarter. Now, luckily, that you know for the Gophers, that defense was able to hold off the Spartans and force a pair of short field goals. 
But, you know, Nebraska cannot hand the Spartans some short, any short fields. It cannot give that offense any more help um, than it needs. And then, you know, you, you should have an ability to run the football. I mean, Minnesota's been able to run the football all year to some extent. Last week, uh, you know what they are capable of. Jordan Newbin, 40 carries, 204, two touchdowns. So Nebraska should be able, in theory, to run the football in this game. They're just going to have to stick with it kind of like Minnesota did and start to wear that Michigan State defense down because, again, you heard about earlier against Rutgers, the Spartans gave up 21 fourth-quarter points. They gave up 17 to Minnesota last week in that 27-12 defeat. Yeah, this is an offense, and you said it's probably objectively the worst that they will face, averaging 18 points a game, which is dipping below Nebraska numbers, which yeah. I, I didn't think we'd be saying here in this Big Ten schedule. Um, a team that, yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you can definitely run the ball uh, against this team. Um, I don't know why I'm having trouble navigating this website to find those stats for you, but I will here in just a second. Um, but they only rush for 108 a game, um, which is pretty low if you're in the Big Ten, and then you get 214 a game through the air. So this is a team that has struggled. Um, as you mentioned, not really a threat in the quarterback room. They've gone through three guys, as you mentioned. Noah Kim was the starter up until Iowa, and that, that was right, the last game. That, yeah, that, that's the game that he last played in because of the injury. So they've been kind of at a carousel uh, there. So in, in you look at the schedule, too, and, and you mentioned they, they've lost some games in some wacky ways, and you brought up Rutgers and Iowa, and I think those are two, you know, exhibit A examples of what you're talking about. But you play at home against Nebraska, and, you know, anybody else in the Big Ten probably looks at Nebraska and the schedule and be like, oh, okay, whatever. They're 5-3, and three, but, you know, how good really are they? But to a Michigan State team that looks at Nebraska probably more in depth this week, oh, this is a Nebraska team that's won five of their last six games. Yep. They're hot. You go at Ohio State. You go at Indiana, who's not good. That's going to be a, a horrible game. No right. offense to either fan bases. And then you play Penn State at a neutral site. So it's not easy sledding for the, Sparty, uh, the Spartans for the rest of the way. Uh, so this game is is eerily important for them. You mentioned the seniors, too, who've played under Mark D'Antonio. They've had success. They went 11-2 and just two seasons ago, winning a New Year's Six Bowl. So they know what it's like to win. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how much fight they come out and play with with all that's gone on this year. Um, and, I mean, we, we've kind of talked about another – scandal-ridden program this year, which is Northwestern, right. and they've come out and they've competed and battled and they've won four games. So will Michigan State kind of emulate that sort of effort against this Nebraska team that has given the ball away? They've definitely circled that in their team meetings throughout the week. Go take the ball away because this Nebraska team will give it to you, um, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of improvement we see on the Nebraska front um, when you talk about fumbling, because you, you can only teach a guy to not fumble so much, right? I mean, that's just kind of like a, hey, hold on to the effing ball. Like, I'm right. sure that's that's the message from from the coaching staff uh, this this week. So um, just a, a stat update on, on Harburg. He's 64 of 124 for 838 through the year, seven touchdowns, four picks. Um, and on the ground, 446 yards on 104 carries. We saw him pitch the ball last week in the option, he did. and it proved to pay off, it looked like, and, and this is what we were talking about leading up to that game. The Purdue scouting report is, hey, if they run the option, go at number 10, because he's probably not going to get rid of the ball. And then he got rid of the ball, and then we saw a couple of breakout runs. Fleeks had a couple of nice big plays as well. That was really nice to see, whether that was in the option or kind of those routes out of the backfield. So that was great to see. Um, obviously, the long Jalen Lloyd touchdown was great to see as well. Um, and overall, that's probably, <laughs> even though they fumbled it five times, it's probably the most pleased I've been with the offense this entire year. I don't know if that's what you no, think, I, but I, 31 points, I can't argue with that. Well, the fourth quarter is the only thing taking any wind out of your sails. Um, and if there's a mm -hmm. bright side of the fourth quarter, it's probably that you've Clearly established that Heinrich Harburg is your number one, and there really is no reason to bring Jeff Sims in unless there's, Harburg is injured. And I think there's zero reason. I think there probably could be an argument made that you would want to put Purdy in over Sims because uh, absolutely the fact that Sims came in for a series and immediately gave up a fumble six, uh, that's incredibly indicting. For context, he has eight fumbles in eight quarters. Yeah. 
So, I, you know, whether that is, I don't know if it's his fault. I, in terms of just like a minute, if it's just like a mental thing, it's just sort of spiraled, uh, or what sort of the issue is, um, for him. I don't know if it totally matters. I, I think you say probably next year that you let Sims redshirt, you send him on his way. Uh, he still has another year left. I think you can get at least one more transfer as a grad, a grad transfer, I think. And then you take Heinrich Harburg, say, you're going to compete against a transfer quarterback that we're going to bring in for next year. Um, yeah, I think that's the bright side. The, the offensive performance, I think, was good. Um, again, it's hard to do. <laughs> I feel like the burden of proof and or the, uh, the level or mark that the offense has to reach on a game-to-game basis is pretty much just score more points than the other team at this point. Yeah. Like, I, I just... I think it's been that week since, like, week two. You are down 8 of 11 starters from the beginning of the year. You know, you, you're in no position right now to really be, I think, as a fan, disappointed or angry with a team that's winning ugly. If they are scoring more than points than the close. other team, then that is a check mark and good enough. Yep. Because right now, there is just... They're so depleted... There's been dealt so many, you know, such a tough hand. I just, I don't think you can really hold it against them or expect them to reach a certain point mark other than just more than the opponent. I mean, we were talking about it on the post game after the game last week, and Schmitty, who we do the show with, and obviously knows his football. I mean, he's been around Nebraska football since the day he was born. And surprisingly, he was the one who kind of had to be talked off the ledge after that performance because he was extremely right. concerned about the turnovers and, you know, rightfully so, who who wasn't concerned about the turnovers. But at the same time, I, like, my argument was trying to convince him of like, hey, the bottom, and I, I get it, my Husker football experience is a lot different than his and a lot different than probably a, l- a lot of people's who either listen to the show or just go to the games and are involved in Husker media. But it's better than losing close. Yeah. Uh, would you rather win ugly or have complete heartbreak, right? And how much how much of that, the heartbreak feeling, have you felt or just feeling deflated after one of those games? And you can point to Michigan State from two years ago. I mean, how, how uh, the telling line, right, from Rule in the press conference on Monday is we went from discussing close losses yes. to ugly wins. And isn't that really the pro- the progression that people were seeking from Scott Frost for Literally all five years. And never got it. Right. And so you you love seeing the team move beyond that step. And again, like, look, I know Nebraska's defense in 2021 was really talented. The thing that's most impressive to me, and I, I went through the two deep the other day and looked at this. The most impressive thing to me about this year's team is that 10 of the 11 starters that are currently listed on the two deep right now for Nebraska were on last year's defense. So, Which is crazy. And you also have to consider guys that aren't in there, right? Omar Brown, Deshaun Singleton, uh, you know, and you really haven't had a ton of productive players with the exception of Prince Will Umanyelen and, uh, and then on the inside, Cameron Lenhart. You know, apart from those two players, MJ Sherman, I guess, as well. So three. You got three, like, real strong newcomer contributors that weren't a part of the 2022 squad. Everybody else is the same. And so this coaching staff is squeezing every single bit of potential it can out of everybody on the roster. It's it's really incredible and refreshing um, to, to be able to witness that on a week-to-week basis. And Nebraska has 25 sacks defensively this year. Uh, some of the leaders, Jamari Butler, who's had a fantastic season with four and a half of them. Luke Reimer with three and a half as well. John Bullock has a sack and a half. Nick Henrich with two, obviously the polar bear with four. Um, I mean, this defense, and I said it to our, our friends, this is the closest thing I've seen. And I know the NFL and college is different, but I'm just based off of the teams that I watch religiously, which are the Bears and, and the Huskers. Uh-huh. This is the closest thing I've ever seen to that 2018 Bears defense with, you know, led by Khalil Mack and everything. Now, I'm not saying this defense is the Bears' defense because, again, NFL, college, different levels, obviously. But the way that they were just able to shut everything down, 
that Purdue was trying to get going on Saturday was incredible. I mean, yeah. you fumble the opening kickoff, and Purdue goes just backwards. Right. Just backwards. And it's the second week that's happened. I know. And it's it's like you, you have a third and three, and you know Purdue's kicking situation isn't good. And it's third and three from midfield, and Nebraska just stuffs it, right? Yep. And another another instance in field goal range, Nebraska just stuffs it, and they turn it over on downs. I mean, this defense is suffocating, and it's amazing to watch. And if, if you like that type of football, then this is your type of team. And I was a skeptic at the beginning of the year, and I, I guess I'll give credit to the man down the hall that we go talk to every day, Bill Dolman, who's actually been on the show too. Uh, I mean, he said that this defense would carry this team to a bowl game. That has been played into existence and is a, essentially a true fact if they get it done here on, on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's very impressive. I mean, this this whole thing has been impressive. Everything's post, really, really everything post that Sunday practice after Michigan has been impressive. Mm-hmm. So uh, you the know, response. There's been good football and good moments prior to that, but everything after that has been kind of night and day from that first third of the season. And now you get to see if they finish in this back third of the season which Nebraska has not done really well in a long time. A while. I mean, this is the most meaningful football Nebraska is playing since 2014 in November. So uh, this is, yeah, I mean, this is obviously a, a big deal. This game's obviously a big deal. How can you find a way to win games? What can you do to sort of engineer your way into a win here against a team that has fought hard over the last five games that is not going to give up and lie down on its senior day, that has some talented linebackers, some talented interior defensive linemen, and can give your offense some real trouble. Uh, so th- that, to me, is fascinating. I'm really excited to see how this plays out this week. Um, you know, it's going to be exciting, uh, meaningful for a lot of people if they can pull off a win. Not just the players, the state as a whole is going to feel really, really good next week if Nebraska is able to pick pick up a win against Michigan State. And then you get – the other thing is, too, you get those 15 extra bowl practices in December, mm-hmm. which is going to be massive. Um, if they can achieve that, I mean, developmentally, right, that's so important. Um, and it's something that, again, none of the Frost teams were able to, ever able to capitalize on. If they were able to break through that threshold at least one time, you do wonder if things – turn out a little bit differently somewhere along the line. If they mm-hmm. do decide to go to a bowl game during that long COVID season and get the extra practices, do things shake out a little bit differently? And now, granted, it would have been less than 15, but more time together as a group to develop. And so that'll be big for Nebraska as well. And knowing this coaching staff, they're going to take full advantage of those opportunities. Well, two things. I still sit and wonder, maybe this is foolish of me, uh, what could have happened if – Nebraska beats Colorado in 2019. That's yeah. I mean, like, that's that's a big. You if. finish five and seven that year, and you blew a 17 point lead in that game. I mean, you just never know. And um, you were ranked going into it. Yes, I mean, yes, what that means in terms of momentum for the rest of the year. You were ranked. You you did squeak by South Alabama, but you, you never know what happens if they win that game. And then uh, also, um, just remember, everybody listening, Warriors don't need weapons. They are the weapon. So there's your Matt there Rule you quote of the day. Uh, that's that's probably probably my favorite one uh, of all of them. My other favorite one is from the pre-Illinois game when he said, and I, I'm not going to quote this directly because I, I don't have the video in front of me, but um, he said, who's going to be the difference maker today? Or I need to know who the difference makers are going to be today. I'm surrounded by them. That was – Yeah, also that really got good. That got me going. So – uh, rule is made to give speeches. I think uh, social media has well well documented that this week. So let's get into our picks for the week. Last week, uh, a decent week for both of us, actually. Um, you had Ohio State beating Wisconsin 28-7 to and covering. That was your lone loss of the week. So good job for and I missed Grant it Hanson. by half point. Yeah, by half points. You were, you were essentially right on there. Uh, UCLA at Colorado. UCLA wins, but Colorado covers. Good job. Uh, and then Nebraska wins 16-13, to 13, which is also a cover uh, because the line actually went to Purdue minus one by kickoff. Um, it was Nebraska minus two and a half, 
if memory serves correct, when we recorded last week. Um, I had Oklahoma covering Kansas. Damn you, Jayhawks. But it was also kind of cool to see them win. Uh, Goalposts came down in Lawrence yet again, which was uh, which was pretty fun. Um, I had Tennessee winning and covering against Kentucky. That happened, and then I had Nebraska beating Purdue seventeen to ten. They did not win seventeen to ten, but they did win and cover. So this week, I don't remember who went first last week, which is a problem. <laughs> I think I think you did. So I will I will go first here in week. 10 and there's some uh there's some good games here in this there's there's in, plenty in this there, early window there is no shortage of games all day long yeah there's no shortage of games and it's a problem that number one ohio state and Rutgers is looking at me right in the face because that's being played in piscataway new jersey <laughs> but i'm not going to be a sicko just yet and go to that one i will go to the big noon game at number 23 kansas state at number seven texas texas is a three and a half point favorite in Austin, the over/under is 49 and a half. Texas, seven and one, four and one in the Big 12. Now, Quinn Ewers not playing, so we'll we'll see how that uh, ends up. And K-State's won four out of their last five games, including just two dismantling performances of TCU and Houston. Uh, Texas coming off of a 35 to six win over BYU, one of the newer additions to the Big 12. I'm going to go with, I think Texas will win. It'll be interesting because three and a half. Ugh. I'm going to go Texas 35 and Kansas State 31. So a near cover for Texas over K-State, and they win it down in Austin. Okay, uh, I will stay Big 12. Uh, and we are going to Jack Trice Stadium in Ames, Kansas, newly minted number 21 team in the country. Bowl eligible after the upset win over Oklahoma last week at 6-2, and 3-2 and two in Big 12 play. Iowa State, 5-3. They're seeking bowl eligibility. They have won three in a row, looking to make it four, four and one in Big 12. For a team that really struggled at the beginning of the year. Yes. Too. Now, granted, it's against Baylor, it's against Cincinnati, and it's against TCU that those wins have come. So those are three of the not as good teams in the Big 12, and, and the rest of the slate for Iowa State features BYU and then Texas and Kansas State to close out the year. So this is a big game because you're going to have to, if you lose this one, you're going to be behind the eight ball against Texas and Kansas State, and then you probably are, it's going to be a toss-up probably with BYU. I like Kansas here. I was not confident they would beat Oklahoma last week. Obviously, you weren't either, and traditionally, they've been pretty bad without Jaden Daniels. Uh, so I was really shocked by that win. I'm impressed by it. Iowa State's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I like Kansas to win on the road, go to 7-2 and two on the year, probably move a couple of spots up in the rankings. It'll be close. Uh, we'll go Kansas wins this one. Uh, final score, 31-28. That's going to be a good game. Uh, I, I agree. I think Kansas goes in there and wins. I mean, obviously their, their performance last week was very convincing, and since I'm a uniform nerd, they look damn good doing it. That all blue look with white helmets, that was shout out to you, Kansas, even though there's a Nebraska Kansas rivalry, apparently. But shout out to you, Kansas, uh, especially for being ranked, too. That's what, what Leipold's been able to do with that program yeah. is awesome. I, a, I think it's really cool. He is a prime Michigan State yeah. coaching job <laughs> candidate. He, he sure is. Right he, up there with Mike Elko. It's going to be Duke. him and Urban Meyer. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> um, he is, he's definitely at the top of the totem pole for that Michigan State job. Will he leave? Only time will tell. I'm going to go to Bedlam because how could you not go to Bedlam um, in the last year in the Big 12 for the foreseeable future? Number nine, Oklahoma at number 22, Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma is a six-point favorite on the road. The over-under is 61 and a half points. This game is always a ton of fun, uh, high energy, uh, high scoring, and, you know, just – Two Oklahoma schools that butt heads, and you know what? I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Oklahoma a bounce back win here. I think they're gonna play pissed off. Daniel, jeez, Daniel Gabriel, Dylan Gabriel did not play well against Kansas. Threw three interceptions out of his four for the entire season. Um, I think Oklahoma comes out and wins, but I will not give them the cover. I think they win by a field goal. Um, I'm gonna go Oklahoma 36. And OSU, 33. 
Okay, had an underdog earlier. Going to go with a favorite here. It's number eight, Alabama, number 14, LSU on CBS. Brian Denny Stadium, Tuscaloosa, Alabama is a three-point favorite. Guys, it's an even line. <laughs> oh, look out. Uh, LSU won this one last year. I do not expect them to win it this year. I, I just I don't think LSU wins back-to-back against the Crimson Tide. Alabama, despite the loss to Texas since then, they have won six in a row. Uh, good win against Ole Miss. Uh, and then some convincing wins throughout the rest of the way. Now, look, they have been pushed by Arkansas. They have been pushed by Tennessee, even though they beat the Volunteers by two touchdowns last week. You had a six-point win over Texas A&M. I, I just – LSU's defense has really struggled to stop anybody. Uh, they stopped Army last week, so I, I guess good for you there. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I, that shutout, I, I just – I don't think that momentum carries forward to this week. Uh, again, it's three in a row right now for LSU, uh, but – I just, Stop I get it. Bleeding. I, like Alabama has has struggled offensively, but LSU has not been able to stop anyone on the defensive side of the ball. So I I think it, you betting against Nick Saban and Alabama in a night game at home, uh, no. So we'll go Alabama winning this one. I do think it's close. I do think it's entertaining, uh, and it probably ends up being on the high scoring side. Uh, so we'll go Alabama thirty five and LSU thirty one. So you have the Alabama cover Indeed. in that game with a three-point spread. All right, uh, that should be that should be a fun one. It's it's always a good time when LSU and Alabama get together. The game of the weekend for Lincolnites and Husker Land at Nebraska at Michigan State. Nebraska a three-point favorite on the road. You have a good old-fashioned Big Ten over/under at thirty-four and a half compared to the <laughs> games that we just picked, and Nebraska with a win can go to bowl eligibility, and I think that they will do just that. It's the first time we've been able to say this since we started the show, that Nebraska can go to eligibility, bowl eligibility with a win. I think they do it this weekend. I think the defense plays really, really well. Defense travels better than offense does, and I'm going to be I'm gonna be a little bit more aggressive, I think, with this pick. I'm going to go Nebraska 24 and Michigan State 7. Yeah, I think that's good. I, I'm in that same sort of phase uh, as you, I think, and just in terms of where this final score is going to end up. Nebraska wins, Nebraska covers. It, it's really impossible to pick against this defense right now, um, especially considering the even the rest of the schedule. I mean, Nebraska is not going to face a more talented defense or rather more talented offense than Michigan um, for the rest of the year. In fact, mm-hmm. I, like I said that after the Michigan game. There are not better skill players on this schedule for the rest of the way. Everybody is very manageable. And so I, I like Nebraska's defense to dominate this game. You know, I was talking to a Michigan State writer earlier this week. He said he doesn't think Michigan State can stay competitive unless they rush for between 150 and 200 yards in this game. And that would be a complete shock yes. if that happened. Mm-hmm. Now, if that does happen, it's because – Sam or Sam Levitt is able to move the pocket and, and do things with his legs, but I just I don't see Nate Carter uh, and the rest of this Michigan State offense being able to push Nebraska's defense around. I get it. I think there's some fight early from Michigan State, but Nebraska takes this thing away in the second half and starts to wear down the Michigan State defense with it with its run game and sort of starts to exert its will on the defensive end. So give me Nebraska. We'll say 27 to 10. Look at that. Both of us having Nebraska winning that oh-so-coveted sixth game of the year and finally being eligible for the postseason for the first time since 2016. So other games going on this weekend. I have to mention it. Iowa at Northwestern at Wrigley Field this weekend, yeah. which is uh, wow. which is fun. I've, there's probably going to be like – some sort. I mean, that. How could you denigrate those hallowed grounds by putting those? I mean, this two is the, this is the, the third time they've played there. So, oh <laughs> god. So, uh, the over under for that game. Yes, it's a sickos game. Thirty and a half. Thirty and a half for that game. Northwestern put up thirty three by themselves last week. I, I get it. They played Maryland, but they. they st- I I think that's a little low. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe I'm crazy, but. Uh, that game's going on. So, some good games around the SEC as well. A&M at Ole Miss. Uh, that's at 11 a.m., a three-point spread Ooh. there. The, again, I said this earlier. This this kind of gets me a little intrigued. Ohio State at Rutgers. I don't think Rutgers is going to win. But the fact that it's not at the shoe, 
gives me a, a little bit of hope for Shiano. I don't know. Yeah, I, that's true. I mean, Rutgers has been feisty all year. And look, I, I've told you this. I think Ohio State's a fraud. I, I do not think Ohio State is a top four team. They're it's, not the number one team in the they country. They are good far. defensively, but giving them number one is embarrassing to the committee. Uh, and I will say this, they are not good enough on the offensive end, in my mind, to be competitive. They barely squeak by Notre Dame. Uh, I just, this is, I, I don't understand how you could look at this team and say that team is on par with Georgia. I just, I don't get it. Um, the other thing that's interesting too for Nebraska fans this week is Penn State, Maryland uh, at College Park. So that one's obviously in Maryland. Penn State's ranked. This is a semi-rivalry game here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is big because Penn State's really, really physical. Um, Maryland just coming off an embarrassing loss to Northwestern, and then you're going to have to turn around and travel halfway across the country right after this game. So that's, this one's fascinating um, because if Penn State wins this one in blowout fashion, look out for next week because that could be helpful for Nebraska. If Maryland's able to pull off an upset here, that's also, of course, incredibly notable. It's a, it's a game that everybody will have their eyes on. Back to the SEC as well. Number 12, Missouri at number two, Georgia. That could be a little interesting. This is a very similar feel of when Kentucky went to Georgia. I thought Kentucky might go in there and, and scare them, but then Georgia just beat the crap out of them. So I don't know if that's going to happen again. The spread there is uh, 15 and a half. We already mentioned Bedlam. Um, Kansas, Iowa State, one of your picks as well. USC and Washington, that's at the Coliseum. Um, USC has not looked good in the past couple of weeks. So uh, let's see if Washington can approve to 9-0. I think they will. That's a three-point spread. Um, Colorado hosts Oregon State. Colorado desperately needs to get back on track at 4-4. Four and four. Can they do that against the 16th-ranked team of the country? And then UCLA travels to a surprising Arizona team, who's 5-3 and three this season in the early going. Before we get out of here, let's go to Nebraska Volleyball. They are in Happy Valley this weekend to take on the Penn State Nittany Lions. It's going to be a whiteout at Penn State, as uh, I saw on the Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it earlier today. So that should be a pretty good atmosphere. Obviously, uh, a, a very good volleyball program in Penn State as well. That's at 7.30 p.m. tonight. And then on Sunday, Nebraska takes on Rutgers at 12 p.m. Sunday. Then they're back home for three on Wednesday, November 8th, Sunday, November 12th, and Friday, November 17th. That's against Northwestern, Illinois, and Michigan. In that order, the last three home games of the year for the number one team in the country, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, who are currently 21-0 and 12-0 and in the conference. And as far as we can see, they look poised for another national championship run. Yeah, it'll be big. Uh, right now, you want to make sure you're that number one overall seed. That'll help. Uh, one of the recent projections I saw, saw Creighton on that side of the bracket, too, um, in, in Nebraska's region. So that's really interesting. Uh, if that ends That'd up be being fun. what ends up actually happening. Uh, and then uh, this week, that Penn State game is really interesting. You know, um, then you get Rutgers on the road again, but which is fascinating, too, because – you get that game on a Sunday. It's kind of a weird arena. Uh, not only that, you just played them. You got to be locked in for that one, especially after Penn State, because that Penn State is going to be a raucous environment. They're really close to you. The fans are like packed closer to you than Devaney is. Uh, Do they so, play in the rack for volleyball at Rutgers? Do you know? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. They just they did recently just change their uh, arena, so they went from a bad one to a better one. So they might play in the rack now. Uh, I'm going to look that up. Forgive me for not knowing. But, yeah, you just – for Nebraska, you got to continue to just keep your same consistent approach throughout the rest of the year. You know, you got to attack Wisconsin the same way in Madison. That'll be a huge match. But, you know, as long as you lock in and you're staying prepared on a week-to-week basis, you should be undefeated. Uh, heading into that match, and at most have one loss heading into the postseason. And, and Penn State is very one-dimensional. You're going to see a really good setter, and uh, and then additionally, you should have basically one player who is taking pretty much all of the swings. And Nebraska was able to take full advantage of that last time. Now, will that change this time? That's kind of the big question. Um, because I think in total there were about 100 swings for Penn State in the in the three sets against Nebraska, um, and you know in that match, um, Jess Merzik took fifty three of them, I think, 
So she took over half their swings. Also, Mac Pedraza, by the way, that's the name of the setter. She is incredibly talented. Uh, Rutgers plays at the College Avenue Gym, which is also known as The Barn by Rutgers people. Uh, It looks like, based off of pictures, they play in the rack occasionally. I know it's not called The Rack anymore, but I don't care. I'm going to call it The Rack because it's way more cool than Jersey Mike's Arena. No offense to Jersey Mike. So... That's your volleyball rundown. Nebraska men's and women's hoops in action for the real thing on Monday, November 6th. The, the women take on Northwestern State. The men take on Lindenwood. Again, If you for the second straight week, if you want to see our faces for radio on TV, you can do so for the women yeah. at noon on Big Ten Plus. Um, so that'll be uh, exciting stuff to get the season kicked off. And then the men in action at 7 p.m. We'll have a, a further preview, I think, coming later this weekend, Sunday or Monday. We'll, we'll do something for it. So uh, to have a, a bigger preview here for uh, the basketball seasons for both sides, because it could be, at least I think, if, and granted, if they stay healthy and nobody else gets jumped, apparently, could have a pretty exciting winter at, at PBA. 19 home games for the men, um, the women trying to make it back to the NCAA tournament. We got a glimpse at them last week. Uh, grad transfer Darian White looked phenomenal. Um, Natalie Potts, a freshman, led, this, led the team in scoring with 15. She's very intriguing. Uh, you know, Jazz Shelley did Jazz Shelley things. The question is, who's going to fill that Izzy Bourne spot? Is it going to be Annika Stewart? Is it going to be Kendall Coley? Only time will tell. Is think, it going to be Natalie Potts? Is, is it going to be Natalie Potts? Who knows? So is it going to be Grant Hansen? I, I, no, I don't know. Is it going to be Guaranteed not going it, to be me. <laughs> Guaranteed not going to be Grant Hansen. But uh, we'll, we'll have a, a, a further thing dedicated to uh, previewing the basketball season on both sides. So, anything else before we get out of here, Mr. Hanson? No, no, that is it for me. I'm I'm ready to roll. Ready to roll. Nebraska, Michigan State. This Saturday, chance for Nebraska to become postseason eligible for the first time since 2016. That's seven years, ladies and gentlemen. That's far too long. So, that will do it for us on episode number 126 of Husker Sports Weekly. Once again, if you want to find us on Twitter, at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hanson, not Hanson. Uh, you can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks to find our show. Enjoy the weekend. It's going to be 60 degrees tomorrow, so that'll be nice. It'll be 70 on Sunday. So uh, make sure you enjoy what will probably be the last warm weekend of the calendar year and set your clocks back because daylight savings time is over. So we're uh, officially in that time of the year. So enjoy the game on Saturday. Hopefully the Huskers can give you something to cheer about afterwards. And we will talk to you in a couple of days to preview Nebraska ball for the 2023-24 season. But until then, go Big Red.